Hello and welcome to this very loved up episode of Shameless, Australia's number one celebrity podcast. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne journalists Zara McDonald and Michelle Andrews. Loved up. Loved up. Love is in the air. Love is everywhere. But is the episode loved up? Uh, I would say so, because we're going to be talking about the wedding for You sound like you're writing for the Daily Mail. Maybe I should write for the Daily Mail. You should let your tresses down. With our pet derrieres, (laughs) we are going to be talking about... Well, today we're obviously going to be deep diving on all things the royal wedding, but before that, we need to chat about that messy Markle family tree, and later, Kim Kardashian's sucky Instagram post. But first, Zara, how was your week? Pretty good. Yeah? With all things royal wedding. Mm. You didn't get really sucked into the news cycle in the week before, did you? No. If anything, during the week, I was really frustrated by the news cycle. I just wanted to read anything but Meghan Markle and Harry news. I think we're... What I struggled with for sure was the onslaught of information. But I think when you actually went digging for smart stuff, it was there, but you really needed to seek it out. Mm. Like there was a lot of shit around the good stuff. Um, when I did find the good stuff, which was a lo- the pool, which is Britain's sort of answer to the cut, um, did some really great stuff. That's where they, they kind of shone. Um, but apart from that, I really struggled with a lot of the coverage just being stupid, mm. like treating the readers as if we're stupid all the time. Did you have a life outside the news cycle? Not hugely, (laughs) not hugely at all. I worked with a dead mouse under my desk for eight hours. That was disgusting. I put that on my Instagram story and people were horrified. Maybe maybe that's why I deep drive the Royal Wedding so much because that happened earlier in the week and I just needed anything (laughs) to get through it. That smell lingered in my nostrils for the next three days. So that was my week, Royal Wedding and and mice. How was yours? Uh, My week was good. Good. I, you're obviously not working on the nights with me anymore no. this month. So this month, for anyone who's not quite aware, if you're a new listener, Zara and I work together in another job. This is kind of outside that, but you kind of go month on month off. So I've been a bit weird this month where I just feel like we're on completely different schedules. We actually are though. You're up at four in the I'm, morning. I'm up four hours after you finish work. Yeah. Weird. Very. It was an all right week. But the story that I was consumed by, obviously, was the great Markle debacle, as the British tabloids so beautifully put it. Who's the Daily Mail now? I don't even think that was the Daily Mail. That sounds like <laughs> a, a headline from The Sun. Um, and sort of the, the drama around Meghan Markle's family, it was pretty sad, I have to say, from my first gut reaction was just feeling really sad how this all unfolded. Yeah, well, to recap, Meghan Markle's father, Thomas Markle, who's a 73-year-old cinematographer, he was kind of exposed as selling paparazzi photos. Yeah. Yeah. That's how it started. So this all started on the Saturday Australian time, almost just over a week ago now, when that, that did come out, that story that he had been caught um, staging paparazzi shots. But what I found most interesting about this week is, is it, as we just said, it was a royal wedding whitewash entirely. But I think two of the biggest sort of like news stories conflict wise came out this week as well that just got absolutely saturated in the news cycle, which was probably the conflict in Gaza and the shooting in Texas. And it was so obvious to me how these two conflicts that should have demanded so much more of the news cycle were so hard for us to get our heads around because neither of them had really strong answers. We didn't know how to react to them. So we probably, it probably amp- amplified the royal coverage more. Yeah. I felt because, I mean, the Gaza stuff is so, is so complicated for the average person. They don't know which side to be on. They don't understand how it's going to end. They don't even understand probably how it's got to this point. And then the Texas shooting just feels so hopeless. And so I, I honestly feel like news outlets just turned to the royal wedding and pumped out even more because they knew that that's what 
people could handle. Yeah, people are to wet their on, appetite. People are clicking on the sugary stuff, and the sugary stuff was Thomas Markle. So we had very different opinions about very. this when we touched on it briefly because after Thomas Markle was exposed as having sold paparazzi shots, he then went on quite the downward spiral. He did. So I think on the Saturday it was revealed that he had potentially sold them. Um, we, well, definitely <laughs> sold them. We're not sure how much money he made, if any, but he definitely staged them. I think we can say that. Um, then he went to TMZ and gave an interview and said, I'm not going to the wedding anymore. And then from there, TMZ seemed to be the arbiter on all royal news, which was really yeah. quite strange out of America. And they seemed to think that they were talking to Markle, Thomas Markle, sorry, a lot. And they kept providing updates that he was coming, that he wasn't coming, that he was coming, yeah. and then that he wasn't coming. Um, and I think there was a lot of sadness around how that played out in the press and not behind closed doors. Well, I think this was the Kensington Palace's worst nightmare to have the number one celebrity tabloid in charge of a really big story about the royal but wedding. not just a number one celebrity tabloid. I think what is most interesting about this is um, Mark Stefano, who writes for, for BuzzFeed in the UK, he used to write for Australia, wrote this really interesting piece on BuzzFeed about how this story fell into TMZ's hands. And I think what we need to remember is although the royal family and the British press don't have the best relationship, particularly after Princess Diana's death, they do have a relationship and there are bargains and deals that can be struck between the two when it comes to America. American media, there's very little that's going to be struck between Kensington Palace and TMZ because I just don't think America understands the British royal family. I truly don't think they do. Well, I'm not sure if they understand, more so if they respect the royal well, family. Well, probably a bit of both, yeah. an overlap between the two. Um, what did you think when this fell into TMZ's hands? Well, I want to put more responsibility than perhaps you do onto Thomas Markle. I understand that there's a lot of sympathy out there for him, and I do feel sympathetic. He's obviously quite an unwell man. He's allegedly just gone in for another heart surgery a couple of days ago. He's still in hospital. So he's clearly quite unwell and not in the best place right now. I was quite upset that he went to TMZ because regardless of how naive or ignorant or whatever you are about what TMZ is and what they will do with your story – he didn't just go to TMZ once. If he'd gone to TMZ once and they had released his story that he wasn't coming to the wedding, that would have been it. And it would have been like, well, okay, he's spoken to them. It was probably a mistake for him to do that. There were four separate interviews that he did with TMZ. Well, this is the issue that I take with that statement is I don't think that there were four separate interviews. I My hunch is that there was one to maximum. And I think if you go back through the stories, my issue with TMZ and I think when you read about TMZ is that they never directly quoted him as we would quote as journalists in full quotes and said he said this. They paraphrase a lot and they never use a full quote, which I have huge issue with because you can take people's words out of context so easily. But I think if you go back and read the interviews, I don't think he ever changed his mind at all. He never said, actually, I'm going to the wedding. His quotes in that second story were, I want to be there. He very easily could have said all of this in the same in the same interview and they have sliced this three or four different ways, which was my gut and how they went about it. Of course. And if the media does that, they're quite obviously TMZ would be manipulating the story and manipulating and him. And it's not and I don't agree TMZ with that. to do that. No, I think that's I, what a lot of people were worried about when it fell into TMZ's hands is that we don't actually know if these quotes are real. We don't even know if he's talking to them on the record. Okay, well... Different rules apply. First of all, I would say that his, him saying to TMZ that he had not spoken to Megan or Megan since 
he decided he wasn't coming to the wedding. That to me, I don't care if you've been taken advantage of by the media. I don't care if you're a bit naive as to where your quotes are going. If he's telling them, I have not spoken to Megan, that I'm not walking her down the aisle at her own wedding. I don't believe that's not this, okay. I, th- I think our issue is taking this as black and white. I don't take his quotes as black and white. I don't take the betrayal of but the I'm quotes as black and white. But I'm not taking them as black and white. I'm taking them as having some kernel of truth, whereas you're completely disregarding no, them and saying absolutely. they have no basis in reality. Of course. I absolutely, because that's what I think. I think the minute that there's some ounce of um, chinks in the credibility of these quotes, I can't take any of them seriously because that's how we have to take any journalism. But the minute there's a little bit of chink in the story, we can't take anything seriously. Well, I'm sorry, but if there was no kernel of truth to this, he didn't go to the wedding. So yeah, no, there no, was no. a kernel of truth to what he was telling TMZ. But I think, he didn't go. But I think before, we're focusing so much on, on TMZ and, and Thomas Markle, but I think so much of the blame here has to come back to Kensington Palace. And I am no, by no means a royal expert, and that's why I've tried to read so much about this because... There's so many royal experts out there who actually specialize in these kinds of fields. And this is where I find their opinions most interesting. I know Phil Dampier, sorry, who was a former Sun Royal reporter and author of Royally Suited Harry and Meghan in their own words. The irony in their own words when it's written by somebody else. Anyway, he told Mark DiStefano they've left him to his own devices and it's not surprising he's cracked under the pressure. Kensington Palace should have sent a media advisor or a minder down to Mexico the minute this wedding was announced so that they could just have a hold on the story. The fact that they left him, not just alone, but in an entirely different country and an entirely, with an entirely different set of media rules. Mm. This is a country who broke Harry's cover when he was in Afghanistan. The Drudge Report broke Harry's cover because they just didn't give a shit Mm. when everybody else did. I think another thing I want to bring to this discussion is that it's all well and good to imagine that Megan would have loved to have her father there, but I also kind of reject that. I'm not quite sure Megan and her father are even that close. Reportedly, he wasn't at her first wedding in 2011, no, Trevor No, we, we should just say that we actually don't know either Report, way. That's why yeah. I said reportedly. Yeah. I know, but I still have to say there's no kernel of truth in that either. We're just pulling that. I can't find that on the internet anywhere. Well, there are photos of her wedding on the internet and there are friends who have spoken. I haven't seen her mother even photographed at that wedding. Her mother was at the wedding. Yeah, I know, but I haven't seen her photographed. So Thomas could well be there is all I'm saying. We're butting heads. I just think with this kind of story, and I think this is where we come from totally different angles, is that the minute I do see things I have issue with in the story, I can't take any of it seriously. I really, really can't. See, I can understand that some of it has been manipulated, but I think at its very base, there is some truth to what TMZ is reporting. I'm not cynical enough to say that everything is make-believe and they've just concocted this narrative from nowhere. I think, at yes, there's fluff around it and yes, there's sugar around it, but it's very, very core. I think it's true. And I just can't get past it. I don't think it was a good thing for Thomas Markle to go to the media, regardless of how ignorant he is. He's not a bumbling fool. He won an Emmy Award for Outstanding Achievement in Design Excellence. So but you can be idiot. a bumbling fool. Like my grandparents aren't bumbling fools, but they might be bumbling fools when it comes to how to deal with technology. Like it's all generational and you are, you're an expert in certain things. A couple of things I do have to agree with you in terms of saying there might not be kernels of truth here. I mean, this is a man who fathered two children Thomas and Samantha, who are so more than more than happy to go to the media and just ruin the reputation of their sister. So there has to be something in that. Their relationship has to be fractured just because of that. Um, but what I found most interesting was the way that Kensington Palace has these 
high walls, both literally and metaphorically. We are never allowed in. We can't see anything. And it just kind of felt to me like he opened the door to this palace and is kind of like, hey, everyone, have a look inside. And then by that point, Kensington Palace had to turn around and acknowledge we were there, that we were sort of really interested in this story. When I actually did some Googling, Meghan Markle released a statement sort of about this last week. Prince Harry released that really amazing statement back in 2016, telling the media off for their, their treatment of Meghan. I could not find a statement that Prince William or, or Kate Middleton had ever released on behalf of Kensington Palace, mm. which is quite outstanding. It was pretty interesting. And the oddness of her statement really caught me in that she described it as, I have always cared for my father and hope he can be given the space he needs to focus on his health. Yeah, it's it an is an interesting way to I've always cared for my father. Well, I think we also need to keep in mind that this is the British royal family. They are not the experts in in being publicly emotional. Um I don't know. I, I didn't just read think it's that. an interesting statement. It, it is, but I also didn't read too much into it. We'll agree to disagree. That sounds, sounds about right. And now, as always, Michelle, it is time for the quick and dirty. We're giving you five stories from the rough and tumble of the news cycle that you may have missed this week, which you probably missed this week considering everything was Royal Wedding. Royal Wedding. It's your turn. What have you got for me? All right, number one, we're getting right into it. Former swimmer Jeff Hugel's wife charged with stealing $2,500 pants in Byron Bay Boutique. That's from news.com. Goodness me. This came, what, a few years after they were both caught with cocaine? Yes, this is Sarah Hugel. And I wanted to bring this up because in her statement, I think it was released by her lawyer, they basically said that Sarah's been suffering with bad anxiety and bad depression and that this is just kind of a step back in her road to recovery. That was a really interesting line to me. This is just sort of a little roadblock in her recovery. I have no idea what the relation between the two is. I have no idea either. I've spoken about it on this podcast before. I suffer with quite severe anxiety. Never walked into a store and thought, I'm going to nick that pair of $2,500 leather pants. But I tell you what, if you could, you could just use it as an excuse now, apparently. I just hate that. I think it makes every mentally ill person who's struggling right now, it just adds to that stigma that if you are mentally ill, you are also a criminal. Yeah. When I'm sure there are some overlaps in cases of uh, very severe mental illness like schizophrenia or drug addiction, drug addiction, stuff like that. But anxiety and depression making you steal designer pants. Like, give me a fucking break. <sighs> designer leather pants. I'm oh, happy. I was so angry. Sarah, I'm angry at you. I hope you listen to this podcast and you don't do that again. Ready for my next story? <laughs> yeah, sure. Unless you've got more of a rant in you. <laughs> no, I'm all good. Oh, actually, I do have another rant coming up. Oh, okay, great. Ryan Seacrest gets caught making creepy comments to Katy Perry on air. That's from The Cut. Ryan Seacrest can get fucked. Ryan Seacrest is the worst. I just love how in the last six months it's sort of like he was kind of this fun Grant Denyer-esque um, TV host of America and we've just found out that we can't trust the little cute TV hosts anymore. We can trust Grant Denyer, I hope. Well, Don't bring Grant <laughs> Grant Denyer was admitted to rehab <laughs> for like exhaustion. Are we going to leave that in? I'm just going to leave that in and oh, leave that there. Wow. Anyway, Ryan Seacrest is an absolute total douche lord. This was a really interesting footage in that basically American Idol came back from an ad break. He was at the desk, the judge's desk, as <laughs> the live stream was happening, making weird as comments to Katy Perry about how something about her mom, something about your mom's really pretty. You're really beautiful. When are we going to like, I don't even know. She insinuated they need to have sex to create their own babies. Yeah. Something odd. And then Katie was kind of trying to be like, we are on 
And she was looking at the camera and kind of like winking to make it out to be some set up yeah. segment. She tried to do that quite well. I actually think I would not have I've thrived in that sort of scenario. Probably why I'm not on live TV. <sighs> um, but yeah, just gross. He's just disgusting. He's so disgusting and seedy. And for anyone wanting to kind of hate on Ryan Seacrest a little bit, go watch YouTube. Google the YouTube video of it because it's very Oh, just generally go watch YouTube. No, go watch the YouTube video. We'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> Great. All right, third story. Batchy star Leah was dating Drew from Big Brother and the breakup tease wild. That is obviously from pedestrian. <laughs> it's obviously from pedestrian because I don't understand three words in the headline in that context. The breakup tea? Oh, you don't get... Okay, no. I watch YouTube all the time. I'm not a millennial. Is, okay. Well, I am, but like in this sense. <laughs> well, you're younger than me. Yeah. So uh, the tea basically means the drama. So when you spill the tea, you let all, like you release all the drama out into the public. That is so many steps. Yeah, it is. That is is so many steps. Most people would know the breakup tea means drama. Bullshit. All right, let's recap what actually happened. (laughs) I'm going to do a poll after this if anyone knows what the breakup tea is. (laughs) So if you watched The Bachelor in Paradise, you'd know that Leah is a little bit of a quirky human being. You'd also know that when she left the show from Channel 10, she did all of her press interviews the next day strongly hinting that she was engaged to another famous Australian. I don't think I'm wrong in saying that. I don't even think strongly hinting. I think that's too weak. She told everybody. (laughs) So she had a huge rock on her finger. She's saying, we all knew, we all know who this guy is, that he's very familiar and he's been on TV and yada, yada, yada. Anyway, so that was Drew from Big Brother, a la Tully Smith fame. Do you remember that? Oh, who doesn't? Yeah, he trended worldwide for being one half of a cheating duo on Big Brother. Anyway, so Leah reveals that she was dating Drew on Instagram this week with a photo of them both kissing. And in the caption said, we've broken up. This is really confusing to me because I remember when this story was first coming out about Leah's potential um, reality TV flame. (laughs) I obviously went to Drew. I (laughs) deep-dived this hugely and I obviously went on to Drew's profile. Wait, did you? Yes, absolutely, because it was on the Daily Mail. But we didn't run with it because he had a girlfriend on Valentine's Day. Now, we're only in May. So I am super confused about how long they dated. They kind of dated for very long. Like, I'm talking a few weeks. Quick crossover from the ex-girlfriend as well. Yes. He moves fast. So that's, I mean, I found that super interesting. Um, This was a lot of baggage thrown out into the public eye. Yeah, it was because then Leah obviously followed up the Instagram post with a series of Instagram stories where she was talking to camera about how Drew cheated on her and she said she had screenshots of their messages back and forth and I don't know, if I had to give any advice to Leah out there, just stop. Just stop. Good advice. Just write a blog post about it and be done. Yeah, true. Uh, Probably still too much. No names. Anonymous blog post. Yeah, okay. (laughs) All right, cool. Fourth story. Chrissy Teigen reveals her son was born a few weeks ahead of his June due date. That is from People magazine. There is something about celebrities giving birth to babies that I don't care about. Really? I so care about Chrissy Teigen giving birth to a baby. No. Uh, she announced it on Twitter in true Chrissy Teigen style, and we don't know the name yet, and we haven't seen a pic. It'll be probably like Moon or something. Moon, moon, <laughs> lunar and Moon. Lunar. Do you want to put a bet on for what name? I'm going to go for Jack. You're kidding? No, nah, Jack. It's a nice name. It's, it's also lo- the baby name I want. So maybe it's I a lovely name, but she's got a kid called Luna. She's not then just going to give the second soul. one Jack. Soul. Lunar It'll be and like soul. Lunar and Nuna or something. <laughs> 
I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know. And I actually don't care that much. I do. Next. I'm, I'm sure by the time this episode comes out, we'll have a photo and a name. So sorry yeah. if we're a little bit behind on that. All right, number five. My last story. He was absolutely horrible to me for a decade. M. Rusciano reveals the ABC comedian who refused to speak to her on a plane for two hours. That's from the Daily Mail. Interesting story, this one. Um, this was M giving an interview with Will Anderson on Willosophy. Did yes. you listen to this? Yes, and it was one of my favourite episodes of Willosophy I ever. Have, um, I actually wrote this story during the week and I had to skip through to the segment where they mentioned this, so I haven't listened to the whole thing. It's massive. It's yeah. huge. But in context, this part was really interesting because they kind of didn't wrap it up. So the, the ABC comedian, we should say, is Tom Gleason, who hosts Hard Chat mm. on the ABC in the weekly show. He's the redhead. He's balding. Does he have any hair? He's balding, but you can tell he used to be a (laughs) redhead. And um, she said he used to be really horrible. Like for 10 years, he was really, he was kind of an asshole to her. Then he called her to go on hard chat and she was like, wait, what? And then she went on and she said the story has a happy ending. But that was kind of it. Mm. And there was no context around the relationship, how the relationship healed itself. And it was just a really awkward brutally honest quote to put out into the into the world with no context i think I what we've learned is that m rusciano does not give a fuck and will say whatever comes to her mind it doesn't matter if it's about another person in the industry or someone in her life she will talk about it if it's on her mind there was a really interesting um article i actually sent you during the week um mumbrella which is actually just a media and an advertising website so i spend in- my life on it it's an it's an industry <laughs> website yeah um but they wrote about this interview and they quoted her and the amount of swear I am by no means a swear word um prude like at all but my god she was dropping every single word you could imagine and Mumbrella didn't like blur them out no I think we've drawn the line on this the podcast C bombs we wouldn't 100%. drop a c-bomb ever they wrote the c-word without even any stars <laughs> like all four letters right Umbrella's there for you loose well guys if you are interested in another good celebrity podcast Willosophy his uh Will Anderson's interview with M. Rashiano this week was really really good I highly recommend it if you're interested in celebrity and the media yeah absolutely I'll put we'll put that in the show notes too yep yep great that's everything that is all Woo-hoo. So it's a standard, typical night it's for us. It's a cosy night. Was, what were we doing? Just roasting chicken roasting and having... Roasting chicken. <laughs> trying to roast chicken. <laughs> trying to roast a chicken. And it was just, a, uh, just an amazing surprise. It was so sweet and, and natural and very romantic. He got on one knee. When the night has come And the land is dark and the moon is the only light we see. Meghan Markle has long defined herself as a proud feminist, and she made every effort to show that on Saturday when she married Prince Harry in front of two billion people. Billion with a B. It was, in so many ways, the most subversive royal wedding we've ever seen. From the African American preacher. Because when love is the way. We actually treat each other, well, like we are actually family. To the black gospel choir belting out Stand By Me and Megan's solo walk down most of the aisle. Zara, how did you feel about the wedding? Far better than I thought I would. Mm. I wasn't, I don't know what I was expecting, but I don't think I was expecting her to have that much control over 
how things went. And it was so obvious watching how much control she really did have. It was pretty spectacular to see how much she injected her own culture and her own idea of what just the religion di- means. Just the diversity, first and foremost, to me. I don't think we've ever seen that much diversity in a British <laughs> royal mm. wedding ever, which is quite amazing. Um, Even the cellist was a, yeah. a black teenager. Yeah. And I think she dropped the word obey from her vows as well. Mm. Just small, tiny, tiny sprinklings of her values were everywhere. And I think a couple of weeks ago, maybe it was even a week ago, it's been a long week, mm. um, we were talking about Meghan Markle in our Facebook group and I said something like, I don't buy it. And everybody sort of challenged me on that and I thought I might just wait to the podcast. And I think for me, in the last few weeks, it's just been – um, the sense that she has this facade that I, I can't quite crack. I can't, she doesn't seem as grounded as Kate Middleton. And then as the week went on and she had that drama with her family and she had to be super stoic and she couldn't come out against it. And then I watched the wedding and she was able to inject a whole heap of her culture, a whole heap of her beliefs in that. I was like, I don't care as much if I, if I think maybe she is not the most genuine person in the world. I think probably she'll have more power behind the walls of the palace than anyone else coming before her. Mm, I was stunned to see how much she managed to change what is an extremely traditional uh, group of people, I guess. She put herself in that ceremony so much. And I've got to say, the entire week and the episodes leading up to this one, I've said I'm not interested in the royal wedding. All I care about is the dress, yada, yada, yada. Chronic FOMO caught up with me at about 6 o'clock on Saturday night. So I was going out for a friend's birthday dinner and on the way there, I was in the on the tram with Mitch and said, I need to download Nine now. I need to stream this royal wedding while we're at dinner. I actually cannot sit in this dumpling restaurant and not know what everyone's wearing and what everyone's doing. But if that is, I know boys, I go out for dinner with my friends and they're streaming the goddamn AFL. Well, I was so relieved when I rocked up every other girl that was there, all the girlfriends were like, let's get the royal wedding up. We had three iPhones in a row set up on the dumpling table to watch it and it was so much fun I enjoyed watching every person get out and looking at the outfits and looking what her suits co-stars were wearing I just I just lapped it up I lapped it up what I think has been interesting um we're going to be going back and forth because there's so much in this but what I think is most interesting is so much talk about the cost of this wedding and how much it's costing and and the drain maybe on the economy or just just the opulence of it. Well, it's 46 million. Which is a lot of money. But yeah. I think what a lot of people aren't thinking about um, when we're talking about money is I don't think you can honestly put a price on bringing that many people together mm. on the same page talking about the same thing when it's not backlash. I think backlash culture is the only way that unites any of us these days when we're angry at something. But to be actually united on something that that brings joy is is pretty priceless. But I think the ways that it makes money elsewhere. Um, I know I was talking to my boyfriend as we were watching it last night and all of the broadcast crews and all of the news crews had hired balconies across the local pubs and the local shops. And they would have the, the price tags on that space for them to fill, you know, to be able to record would have been huge. This is money just being injected right into that economy. Oh, absolutely. And if you saw the photo shared by BBC last night, it compared the crowd at uh, the royal wedding and around the streets of the royal wedding compared to Donald Trump's inauguration <laughs> ceremony. And there were just so many people, so, so, so many people. The other point I want to bring up about that $46 million is 96% of that is actually spent on security. Yeah. So it's not like Harry and Meghan are going and they're, they're living lavishly. I'm not going to deny that. It would yeah. have been a $1 million wedding or something like that. But... 
and her dress would have been expensive and there would have been thousands spent on flowers, but it's not like they're spending millions and millions on the ceremony and the reception. The vast majority of this is going towards keeping everyone, the royals, the public safe in case anything happens. And I think that is so important to note. There's no denying that this is a stupidly grand affair mm-hmm. um, and stupidly expensive too, but I just don't think it's easier seeing a figure and saying that's too much money. Yeah, of course. What did you think of the dress? I Okay, when she got out of the car, I was disappointed initially I think that's just because it was so pared back and so simplistic I looked at it and I loved her tiara uh the headpiece was a filigree tiara which belonged to Queen Mary I really liked that and I loved her long veil the dress for me initially was underwhelming but the longer the ceremony went on and the longer I kind of sat with it because it's such a serious thing to mull over I really like it now I think it was just subtle but classic and beautiful. I think because there was so much build-up. I mean, I thought it was interesting that the rumours were so strong that it was going to be Ralph and Russo that designed this dress and it ended up being uh, Claire Waite Keller for Givenchy. And the, the firstly, that stunned me first and like the, the minute I saw it, but also there's so much build-up for this dress and there's nothing, there's nothing outrageous or outstanding or about the dress. It's very, very simple. And I was exactly the same. The longer I sat on it, the longer I was like, she has every... And she has had every opportunity in the world to wear glitzy stuff. This doesn't need to be the event for it. And um, one of my girlfriends was texting me straight away saying, what did you think? What did you think? And I was like, I think I like it. And she's Mm. like, I love it. I love it. I love it. And I trust her opinion so much because she is one of my friends who will always wear something timeless. Mm. And I think we underestimate the ability to pick something timeless. I cannot do it for the life of me. I sort of get so caught up in the moment. It's so true. And if you look back at the royal wedding dresses over the last 200 years, there are some doozies. Absolutely. (laughs) And I just do think we underestimate the ability to look back on that dress in 100 years and be like, that is still beautiful. It also really stood out to me how amazing Kate Middleton's wedding dress back in 2011 was because I didn't think it, it walked that fine line of being really classic and really beautiful but being very unique and how hard that brief must be to nail absolutely and seeing the comparisons you could not find two more dissimilar dresses they were so different and I the only thing I did notice and someone brought this up in our Facebook group again was that Megan's dress was slightly oddly fitting around the arms almost like it was too big for her I don't think she would have been eating very much this week. She would have been so bloody stressed I would not blame her um Kate Middleton's dress that she also wore to the wedding Yes, I was torn about this. I saw a lot of commentary on Twitter being a little bit disappointed that the Duchess of Cambridge chose to wear an outfit she's worn three times before. Yeah, that is outrageous to me. Not that she wore it three times, that the people... But like, damned if she does, damned if she doesn't. That is yeah. stupid commentary. Well, I think I can see what they mean because there's so much hype and so much excitement. Everyone wants to see what everyone's wearing. It's just a huge fashion moment. That's not her people. responsibility. No, of course. And I think it is really nice and touching to do that for her sister-in-law to kind of say, look, I'm going to wear something that the public have already seen me in multiple times. This is your day. This is the definition of letting you have your moment and me not stealing it by having a like, really nice ass and a white dress. Yeah. <laughs> but like Kate Middleton's dress that she wore um, at least to, to Charlotte's christening and then over the weekend was Alexander McQueen. Like that dress 
by itself would be worth the thousands. So here we are talking about the opulence and the grandeur of a wedding like this and how much money there is. And then secondary to that is commentary that Kate Middleton shouldn't be wearing the same dress <laughs> more than once, even though it's worth probably more than my car. I don't think people are saying she shouldn't. They're just saying they're a little bit deflated because they were excited to see what she'd be I wearing. I think she was, it was a lose-lose situation for her. I also think we shouldn't underestimate the fact that she had a baby a couple of weeks oh, ago. God. Perhaps this is the thing that she felt most comfortable in when there are going to be billions of eyes on her. Perhaps. Now, what did you think of Megan's reception dress? This was my favourite. Yeah, so this was a Stella McCartney one, and this absolutely was my favourite. I think this is where she probably can have more personality. Mm, and she had the halter. It was still very simple, but it was beautiful. She kind of had a halter neck neckline. Is that how you would describe it? Yeah, I mean, sure. Yeah, <laughs> and it was gorgeous. If you haven't seen photos of that, we will put it in our Facebook group as well, because that was a personal favourite of mine. Do you have any other hits and misses in the fashion department? Um, I loved Amal, as always. The first thing that I thought when I saw Victoria Beckham, and I did put this on Instagram straight away, was I was like, she wore this in 2011, and I hate myself that I remember this straight away. Yeah, I couldn't believe my eyes that you remembered that. I I don't know. She looked gorgeous. Victoria Beckham always looks amazing, but I wish she had gone a little bit different to what she did in I 2011. I think my favourite, and I will put this um, in the Facebook group after this episode drops, was Abigail Spencer, who is a co-star of Meghan Markle. She hardly got any airtime on um, as she was walking in, but she was walking in with some was of her friends. pinkish? No, but that was – it was sort of like a high-collar, um, long-sleeved, navy and white polka dot it was super different i am obsessed with it i will put that in interesting interesting i would have to say my hit would be megan's mum, doria ragland i just Mm. think she looked so stunning in that mint green yeah i think she looked beautiful like perfect mother of the bride look and she i probably just loved it so much because she looked just to be soaking the moment up and so emotional and happy for her daughter it was quite tough watching on watching her be the only representative of megan's family um sitting there by herself and having being thrown into this environment that is so foreign to every single person apart from the royal family, that would have been one of the most difficult scenarios, even though it's your daughter's wedding. You would hope that she had time to kind of get to know her, like Megan's co-stars from Suits or something. To like suit. I was, all I was thinking is I hope somebody talks to her at the reception. Because, you know, you know, if that was your mum, you would be like feeling so um, protective and feeling yeah. like you need to look after her at the reception, but it's such a huge wedding. and You'd constantly be conscious of whether or not they're enjoying themselves yeah, and have and, people around them. Yeah, absolutely. What I did want to end on though, Mish, was the, the, the walking down the aisle drama that started when Thomas Markle pulled out and Prince Charles stepped in and we had a bit of outrage about that. How did you feel like it landed when it happened? I really liked that she walked half of it by herself and actually gave herself away. And that first half was really long and I think it was really powerful just to watch her by herself walk her uh, work herself up and give herself to her future husband. Yeah, I didn't mind that Prince Charles had a part in it. I didn't at all. We were so outraged when it was announced because they didn't really explain it in full when Kensington Palace did release that initial statement. Um, but my sister texted me the minute it happened and she was like, that is the most ballsy thing I think I've ever seen yeah. is walking yourself down an aisle where everybody is looking at you. All you would want is just to hold on to somebody to walk you through it. Well, two billion eyes are on I you. I would want someone so close to me to be able to do that with me. And she just didn't. And I thought in the end, it was a really beautiful compromise. I think I would have loved if it was in that second half I really would have but it wasn't um so I think at the end of the day this was 
a good compromise for all parties. And I think we were outraged when we didn't realize how much of Megan's African-American culture yes. would be injected into the ceremony. Yeah. And it was everywhere. That It was unmistakable that this was her wedding. And I think it was really powerful. She did such a good job of navigating really traditional uh, expectations and molding them to what she wanted. I am on the Megan train, I think. Same. <laughs> Talking to a number of young influencers, many of them have different talents. They do comedy, they dance, they sing. Yes. What's your talent? It is a talent to have a brand that's really successful off of getting people to like you for you. So I would think that has to involve some kind of talent, you know? <laughs> Kim Kardashian has posted many a controversial Instagram in her time, but arguably none as damaging as the one she posted last Wednesday. With a red lollipop purse between her lips, Kardashian uploaded a selfie to Instagram with the caption, hashtag ad you guys, a company we will not name, dropped a new product. They're appetite suppressant lollipops and they're literally unreal. They're giving the first 500 people on their website 15% off. So you, if you want to get your hands on some, you need to do it quick. Suck it. Backlash was fast and fierce, perhaps for obvious reasons. Mish, how did you feel about this story? I had a really unusual reaction. I was expecting myself to feel really upset initially and I didn't. For some reason, I felt I felt defensive of the Kardashians, which doesn't make any Shut sense. Shut up. No, not, not defensive of appetite suppressants. I felt like it's so cool to hate the Kardashians these days that I'm just a bit exhausted by everyone piling on them. However, as I've kind of sat with this for longer, I do think it's extremely bizarre that a 40-year-old or almost 40-year-old woman, she's in her late 30s now, with three children, is choosing to advertise lollipops to teenagers. I'm bizarre. I'm, I'm, I'm astounded that that was your first reaction. My first reaction definitely wasn't like, I have fire in the pit of my stomach. I'm so angry because I think I'm definitely numb to a lot of this stuff now. I, I think I can look at it and say straight away, ooh, that's no good. But I don't get angry. But I'm surprised that your gut reaction wasn't, that's a really fucking stupid thing to do. I think I'm just surprised that people were so upset about this when I have seen the Kardashians advertise flat tummy tea and uh, appetite suppressant teas and laxative teas for years, for years, and I've never seen an article about it. That's a very good point. I wonder what it was about this particular post that riled people up so much. I think it's just a new type of packaging. I think her saying uh, it's an appetite suppressant, her putting that in the caption is what riled people up because people don't do their research. When someone says, I got a flat tummy by drinking this tea for 14 days, people don't go look and make them realize that that tea makes you shit yourself for 14 days. That's true. I think my favorite part of this caption was the fact she described them as literally unreal. <laughs> by definition, if they were literally unreal, they would not exist. So I didn't understand that. Um, I, the conversations around Kim Kardashian being a feminist and, and whether she can advertise these kind of products, I found really interesting because you, I am firm of the belief that you absolutely cannot be a feminist and advertise lollipop suppressants to a hundred million followers, mostly young girls and tell them to lose weight. Um, but I think when I saw the conversation about the intersection between feminism and appetite suppressants and the Kardashians. My first thought was, when did Kim actually ever pretend she was a feminist? So I went and did some digging and I tell you what, it didn't take me very long. You know, in March around International Women's Day, she decided to launch a women's empowerment add-on to her personal emoji collection. Like, 
she received considerable online backlash for that. But in the context of this, that's pretty disgusting to me that she is so willing and ready to make money off International Women's Day as a branding exercise. And then when it comes to to, to spruiking products that are really, really damaging to her young followers, couldn't care less. It seems in many ways that Kim Kardashian is a feminist for commercial purposes entirely. So in 2016, she told uh, a group of women, why do we have to put labels on things? I'm a human being and I have thoughts, feelings and opinions about a lot of things. That was in response to asking, are you a feminist? So she basically said, I don't identify that way. And yet two years later, she's selling feminism emojis because they're cool now. In 2016, it wasn't cool to call yourself a feminist. and Now it is. Absolutely. It's sort of like the year of having feminism on your T-shirt. It is the cool time to be a feminist. Um, So it just seems interesting to me that a family who have basically built each of their empires on their bodies and making other women feel shit about themselves suddenly want to jump in on that. There was a really interesting case on Jezebel this week, and I haven't read Jezebel in some time, um, but it was about this entire thing, but it was talking about how for the Kardashian empire, their currency is their bodies and literally their currency is their bodies. Um, this is from Megan Reynolds who wrote the piece. She said the main currency of the Kardashian empire is public image, but more specifically their bodies. Kylie Jenner monetized her lip injections by creating a cosmetics line and more specifically a lip kit that emphasized her cartoonish pout. Kim Kardashian just made a mold of her own body to put on a perfume bottle and is now selling lollipop appetite suppressants. It's almost as if you can you see the body in every part of pop culture, whether it be on the perfume body or whether it be on her Instagram. And suddenly you see this lollipop and you think that's that's the connection between the two. That's what I need to do to get there. It is a really interesting business model to they often sell the idea of female empowerment. That is the overriding message in a lot of what these women do, that they're good business women, so they're empowered women. And they often associate empowerment with the body, which I just find so interesting. I find the idea that by showing your body to the world and by getting naked or by uh, getting lip injections or boob jobs or whatever, that that is suddenly being empowered. And I'm not here going to saying that if you do any of that, you're not empowered or you're not a feminist or whatever. It's just like their entire brand of feminism lies in getting naked. Well, I think the moment women are doing an we say this a lot, but the moment a woman is doing something that a man isn't doing and doing it to the nth degree, there is an issue there. So you can say that you're making an informed choice to get lip injections or you're making an informed choice to get fat sucked out of your stomach to put it in your ass is, you know, your empowered decision to a point, but it's still these these decisions made in context. Yeah, and I just struggle. I don't see Ryan Reynolds advertising appetite suppressant lollipops to his male followers. I just, I really struggle with this and I've long struggled with the idea of selling weight loss on Instagram. I think Instagram have found themselves in the position now where they're just kind of screwed. They haven't they have not made any effort to rid themselves of this kind of really damaging advertising. I, as a young woman, bought laxative tea off Instagram and I bought it because I saw it advertised by different celebrities who I really followed. And I really enjoyed a tweet from journalist Vicky Spratt who wrote, Kim Kardashian has more followers than all of the most prominent women's lifestyle magazines put together. So what she posts about really does matter, particularly when it's encouraging young women not to eat. Absolutely. But 
I think we haven't even touched on the most, the craziest element of this entire thing is that Kim Kardashian has more money than I would even understand. Why does she need? Why does she need to go on Instagram and spruker an appetite suppressant lollipop? Yeah, why don't think- these Why don't these women just focus on their businesses? Why aren't they getting rid of the Instagram ads now? You would think that she wouldn't be earning a huge amount of money from appetite suppressant well, lollipop. How much either. can you possibly earn? A hundred grand from that? Yeah, it was a really interesting choice. Really interesting choice. Tell you what, though, um, what did go viral, sort of simultaneously to this story, was a tweet from Jamila Jamil, who is an actress. Um, from Britain and she said no fuck off no you terrible and toxic influence on young girls I admire their mother's branding capabilities she is an exploitative but innovative genius however this family makes me feel actual despair over what women are reduced to she was this was retweeted what 15,000 times it made its own news why do you reckon it exploded so much because I think it's exactly what everyone is thinking I think it's so on point for what is frustrating about the Kardashians because I'm sitting here as someone who does identify as a feminist and who does really enjoy seeing women make it in the business world. I don't enjoy seeing women reduced to the size of their waist and the size of their ass. And I think that's what the Kardashians mostly do. I never see the Kardashians talking much about politics apart from the Yemenian genocide, which is probably the only thing they're vocal about in that realm. I don't see the Kardashians being an ally for women. I think they profit off making women feel shit about themselves. And I think we've sort of come full circle, don't you think? We started thinking that they were really bad for women. We sort of went, did a bit of a 180 and thought, well, maybe, maybe you know, these are women who are making it in business. And We saw them as experts in manipulating PR machinery. Yeah, and yeah. that there's got to be an art to that. And now I think we're coming back to where we started thinking, yeah, they might be good at all of that, but that doesn't mean they're good for the world. They're good at making us feel like shit and profiting off that. Yeah, which, I mean, is the, the best advertising strategy of all, isn't it? Yeah. Because, well, I mean, that's how you've advertised, people have advertised to women for years. We should also note that we sought comment from a few different people about this to make sure – or to understand what it was that was so damaging. I mean, from us, it's pretty clear from a feminism perspective it's so bad. But what about the actual health implications of taking a lollipop like this? So um, we started with Zoe Nicholson, who's a who calls herself a non-diet dietitian of Love What You Eat. For her, it's an issue because she said it's promoting eating disordered behaviors such as restricted eating and being skinnier. In my 14 years of practice, I have seen thousands of people who go through years or lifetimes of food restrictions have severely damaged relationships with food and body image. There was another one, Louise Adams, who's a clinical psychologist from Untrapped. Her um, line of thought was really interesting. She said, this lollipop's active ingredient is satyril, a saffron extract. The research is dubious. One eight-week study found, funded by the pharma company <clears throat> found a result. Another study not funded by the company found it was no different to placebo. We have no idea about the long-term impacts. Appetite suppressant research in weight science tends to be very dubious. We also heard from Melanie McGrice, a renowned Melbourne dietitian, who said many appetite suppressants contain compounds that have other side effects such as increased heart rate or insomnia. She went on to say too many people take appetite suppressants without medical supervision and starve themselves, lose muscle mass, slow their metabolic rate and end up in a yo-yo diet cycle. Which is there's clearly two two elements here, the intrinsic anti-feminist nature of the post and the body image aspect, but also the really blatantly bad health advice, mm. which we got from the dietitians and nutritionists then, which is really scary. I mean, this de- these appetite suppressants do increase your heart rate. They're not good for your body. So uh, 
it's just mind-boggling to me that that she's more than willing to take money for that. It's also mind-boggling that she's willing to pathologize hunger. Hunger is not a sign of being unhealthy or it's not something that we should try and eradicate. Being hungry means your body needs energy. And to tell women that don't eat, it's good to be weaker and it's good not to fuel your body with energy and it's good to prioritize having a flat tummy over energy to get through every day and use your brain and use your body and run and skip and fucking jump all over the place. Like to tell young girls, it's better to have a flat stomach than have a full and lively existence is just bizarre to me. I do want to finish by talking about Instagram. I know you touched on Instagram before, but Instagram, the rumors were that they deleted the post and then brought it back to life. Like Jesus. Um, the devil works hard, but Chris <laughs> Jenner works harder. Really interesting to me because Instagram do have guidelines on dangerous posting. They have an entire um, post on post page in their guidelines about eating disorder behavior and, and promoting that. Um, but they did bring it back. Yeah, they did. And I think that's because they don't have a leg to stand on anymore. If you're going to let uh, skinny me tea run riot all over Instagram, you can't then turn around and say, oh, it's fine to suppress appetite and it's fine to tell young girls they're not skinny enough, but only if it's a tea, not if it's a lollipop. I think you're so right. If they did delete this, where where do they stop and what do they then go and delete next? Mm. Which is, I mean, pretty tough task. Good luck, Instagram. Yeah. I think our idea of what Kim Kardashian was, as you said, is unraveling again to what we originally thought and held to be true. And I am disgruntled, but as I said, I just feel a bit ugh about it all because I've seen this for so many years. And yes, it's shit and yes, it's annoying, but they've been doing this in tea form for probably but five, six years that now. That doesn't necessarily make it right or it doesn't make it wrong that we've just picked up on it now either. It doesn't. It just makes it interesting to yeah. me that – Flat tummy teas are accepted widely, but flat tummy lollipops, not so much. <laughs> yes. Hey, guys, thank you so much for joining us for episode 11. Please subscribe to the show in your feed. We would love you a lot if you did that. It really does help spread the word and allow other people to find our show. Don't forget, you can take part in the conversation by joining our Facebook group. It went off during the royal wedding. So if you guys love celebrity and you love pop culture, but none of your friends do, come join. It's like a community of like-minded women. Just search for Shameless Celebrity Gossip on Facebook and you can be our friend. That is a tongue twister, but it didn't ruin you. Hey, I also made an Instagram during the week too. (laughs) Um, We are everywhere. We actually are now. It is Shameless Podcast, I think. Is that right? I'm sure if they type in Shameless, how many other things are going to be called Shameless on Instagram? I wouldn't be arrogant enough to assume we're the only ones. Do you reckon? Let's, we'll do the test later. But I think it's Shameless Podcast. Come and find us on Instagram. Um, my WhatsApp group last night were telling me, could uh, the person in charge of Shameless Podcast uh, come down on the Royal Wedding coverage? <laughs> and they said, sorry, that is me. Um, I so, thought you were going to invite us into your uh, little WhatsApp group as well then. And I was like, right. we really are. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's private. Um, but if you don't even want to Instagram follow us, you can email us your thoughts. Our email is shamelessthepodcast at gmail.com. Ah, royal wedding done. I know, I'm a bit sad. Hopefully we can even still talk about it next week. No, we can't. Okay. We're not doing that. See you guys then. Bye. Oh, hi. It's Annabelle Lee and Louis Hansen here. We are your hosts of Everybody Has a Secret. Woo! Woo! We 
are here essentially just to let you know that we drop episodes every week now. Every damn Friday morning, we are in your ears. That is so exciting. What a time to be in your ear holes. So essentially, each episode, we unpack the real life secrets of our listeners. So this is for everyone who loves, you know, just a little bit of gossip in mm-hmm. their lives, which, let's be real, Annabelle, is all of us. It's absolutely all of us. Don't lie. You all love gossip. So if you want to listen to our show, please do head to your favourite podcast app and listen now. See you there. Bye.